newly named Big Screen Auckland. I'm Nigel. And I'm Corey. And this is our near weekly podcast where we talk about movies we've seen, movies we want to see, and anything else that pops into our heads, preferably movie related. Just a warning, uh, we don't try and actively ruin or spoil anything, but we do tend to ramble. So this week we're talking about Shaolin and 127 Hours. So those of you looking to go into this blind... Pay heed. Dum dum dum. Ah, what are the chances? How embarrassing. <laughs> Right, it's time for me and Corey to go out to see, uh, we've chosen Shaolin this week, which is a remake of an old Jet Li film. It's about a, a dude that doesn't like Shaolin monks who has to team up with some Shaolin monks and fight some warlords or some shit. Pretty epic by the looks of it. It's hard to tell these things apart. They all kind of look the same, but some of them are terrible and some of them are real good. Uh, and it used to be that Jackie Chan's name on the poster would mean it was good, but we've pretty quickly learned that that... Tuxedo? Yeah, exactly. But this one's got Andy Lau in it as well, who I've liked in a bunch of Johnny Toe stuff, and he was in the Infernal Affairs that got remade into The Departed. And he's also currently playing Mel Gibson's role in What Woman Want, now playing at event, if anyone's interested in that. So, Corey, you interested? I class all these films as either fighting or, um, or good. This, one, <laughs> this one's going to have a lot of fighting in it. I first thought it was like the new on back guy. I'm hoping it's a period piece. It can have a it can have a punch up or two, culture and stuff like that. No, I don't understand. Well, I'm I'm really into watching people do shit well. I like watching um, Hitman films when Hitman are real good, and I like watching fighters when they're really good. Like the Ong Bak guy, and you you have no interest in it whatsoever. No, because I never watched wrestling. Didn't see wrestling, so I didn't get that mentality. I like Crash and Tiger, Hidden Dragon in terms of Asian films. Japanese films don't have fighting, they have samurai swords in them. Films where they take a fighter, the new fighter, oh, this guy can punch faster than anyone else. This guy just won the World Mixed Martial Arts Championship, whatever it is. They take him and wrap a film around him just to get his fights in front of first Asian audiences and now Western audiences. And I find that it's painful. I'd rather watch it on YouTube. I'm hoping this is a bit different. I've got high hopes for this one. Shaolin Monk sounds interesting. A remake, a remake of something I haven't seen, which means they've already had a chance to perfect it. So it should be a pretty refined film polished storyline and they'll eliminate the things that didn't work and that's always good cool let's go see done okay we're back from uh shaolin not quite what i was expecting at all you no not i've, I've always been a big fan of, of asian fighting movies I, I used to be a fan of jackie chan and jet lee back in the day before before they uh got a bit silly uh, nowadays I watch stuff like the Donnie Yen films, like the Ip Man and stuff, or Ong Bak. I really enjoyed Chocolate with Jija from Thailand. I've also seen a bunch of Wu-Tang's favourite movies or whatever about the Shaolin monks, so I thought that might be a showcase of, of great Shaolin fighting, or it might just be one of those big, pretty epics full of oversaturated colours and set pieces. We actually didn't get any of that. I could have fallen in any of those categories. And, and it actually didn't hit any of them. What did we get, Corey? I, I'd call it a period piece with terrible, terrible everything. <laughs> um, and enough fighting thrown in to try and save it. Actually, the fighting was the best part of that film. That's how terrible it was. <laughs> a man that hates fighting films enjoyed the fighting the most. The very opening scene has a pan across a war-torn countryside and there's some soldiers charging on horses and so forth and you scan and it looks like a golf course that they've covered in grey brick you know craters and so forth world war ii it could have been world war ii but you know it was way earlier i suppose um and there's a little fake fire popping out from behind a, a pile of bricks and a little fake fire popping out behind a bush and a little fake fire popping out they were every like 10 feet apart 
laid out in triangles. There was no thought to it. Someone went, right, battle scene, cool. Pace out uh, some triangles and put fake fires by that gas. It looked like uh, flames coming out of a bog in a terrible 80s um, swords and sandals. <laughs> we should have that, gone and seen an 80s sword and sandals. That's we, should we should have. have so that's the first 30 seconds, and I thought, here we go. They've paid no heat. They've given it no thought. They've just bashed a story out. <clears throat> I didn't enjoy it too much. No, I'm, I'm with you in that I didn't enjoy it at all either. It wasn't a lovely, beautiful, epic thing. It wasn't colourful at all. It was grey and dirty and not in a good way. Not If it was gritty and grey and dirty, that'd be fantastic. I'd love that. It wasn't. It was like trying to be beautiful, but they forgot to put anything beautiful in it. I think I think they started off with beautiful, and then someone came in and said, right, period piece this. It's been after a war, and they got the light grey sand spray out and covered every set and made every actor walk through it and then... Because then every... Oh, how about the blood bubbling out of the mouths? Every death scene <laughs> had a pile of blood gushing out the corner of the mouth and it would run down past the sand sprayed grey face. Ah, oh, it was fucking terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. There's a lot I remember about this film, a lot I can point out to tear it apart. If anyone doesn't want us to have a hate fest, maybe skip forward a few minutes because I think we're about to have a say, hate fest. Tell them to write it now. It'll come in a fortnight. Anyway. Was there anything worse than the... The, the fucking soundtrack, that Disney syrupy, horrible thing. They didn't even let up. It continued the whole time. There was no quiet bits. I, I pitched it a dude with a cross mixer, and on one player was uh, Disney, and the other was uh, Chinese. <laughs> yeah. China, and it was just fade between the two at the exact right pitch. It was, yeah. It was yeah, shocking. it was the Mulan soundtrack. Except for, when they, <laughs> except for when they upped the Mulan soundtrack with more um, heartfelt violin and slowed down everything to half speed, but jerky half speed, like it was wasn't done properly like they didn't record it with a high-speed camera and play it back at normal oh the actual picture when it slowed down yeah those slow-mos were embarrassing it just you know what stunted. i mean they, they, they didn't, didn't record it with a, they didn't record it with a high speed and play it back at normal <laughs> they recorded it on the, like a digital camera and just went play half enter and let it render and then just that was it well was, maybe maybe they needed to stretch it out to fit its two and a half hour runtime yeah that was the other thing it was trying to be an epic they're like <laughs> we can make this an epic make them sit in their seats for ages oh it was terrible. Should, should we dissect it and rip it to bits? Is that, is that fair? Do you like how a, a bit part player who's had nothing to do with the film turns up at the end and demolishes... I'm going to ruin it for the fuckers. Demolishes everything we've watched, except for where the two last men are standing. Like, an entire building's been destroyed, except for the bit of wood they're standing on. That's, that's terrible. Who was the famous guy? Fill him in on why we went. I quite like Andy Lau. Who was Andy Lau in it? But he was the Andy Lau was the bad guy. At he the was beginning, one of the warlords. He was the start. Yeah, he was the yeah, main he, dude. He was a he was a main um, bad guy. He was he was a bit of a prick for the whole start. Then um, some shit went down with his family, and and he he got all disillusioned. Learned some life lessons probably about a quarter of the way through the movie, and decided to join up with the Shaolin monks that he was originally. That's the twist point where he so nasty to yeah yeah where he joins the Shaolin monks. Yeah, so he trains up and and becomes a a, a monk. Yeah. Um, they let him jump in, like, skip all the training. He jumps straight into, like, number three on the list. <laughs> yeah. Because he's got... He's got the I would list. be pissed off if I was those other monks, man. Yeah. If people know about martial arts, don't, don't be offended when I say, like, he had the best kung fu out of all the kung fuers. Like, <laughs> I know they were probably doing something else. Filming-wise or no, no, character? No, like, the character. Here's an introduction. By the way, these monks are the greatest martial artists in the world. Hang on, here comes a warlord. Fight. Oh, he's taken on four of them. All right, he's pretty... Oh, no, now it needs eight of them to stop him. Yeah, he's pretty strong. 
Yeah. That way, when he cuts all his hair off and says, "You know what? I'm really sorry for being a bastard for the first three quarter, or first quarter of this film. Can I be a shallow monk?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> he cut his hair off and had a sports training montage. Yeah, Jackie Chan pops in halfway through as comic relief. He gets a little fight. I was looking forward to his fight, and then it turned all CG and terrible. There was, oh, there was barely any CG, except one fight scene had a bit of a bit of CG. Holding like that block, tossing dudes around it. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I can that fair enough. In my mind, all that registered is when he was folding that dude. I was like, he can't, he can't do that. That yeah. dude's not real. That dude's CG. Yeah, that was right after the walk thing because the kids were yelling out, "Stop running!" Right, right, right. Man, the kids. What was there? They, um, the children were used so much for emotion in this. There was one scene where they were like. The kids walked forward and the guards said stop and five bullets to their feet and the kids walked forward anyway. And like as he takes that step, 17 cellos start up <laughs> in the soundtrack and like half the audience tears up and it's like, the little kids walking forward anyway. It was so painful to How see that someone... That, there was a child that died during the film. How long did that death scene fucking last and they painted the kid green or something? It was yeah. horrible. Yeah. Question. Jackie Chan's dialogue wasn't funny according to the subtitles, yet the audience we watched, a, a largely Asian audience, were cracking their pants at it. Does that mean they all spoke the same language as Jackie Chan and what he was actually saying was much funnier than the subtitles? I reckon so, because like um, a guy, a girl in a noodle shop, what's the exact title of that film? A woman, a gun in a noodle shop? Nice you don't need. Um, <laughs> like that, all those jokes fell flat on my Western ears. They were, they were all terrible. Some mm. of them some of them weren't the end of the world. Jackie Chan's getting lots of laughter though. But our audience, um, we saw a Tuesday night at the, the rocket ship event metro on Queen Street, you know, the flash flash one in the middle there that everyone loves. You call that the I call that the, the IMAX Centre. We're probably both completely wrong. The IMAX It's probably called Queen Street Event. It's got a rocket ship. What else are you gonna call it's it? An IMAX. Come on. Oh <laughs> I suppose yeah, yeah, you're an orphan today. <laughs> the audience were idiots morons a lot of them it was painful <laughs> I don't like people enjoying films like that when, I, <laughs> when I'm in the cinema I don't want to be a, a horrible old man but yeah there was a lot of talking in, in um, English and Chinese over top of the film then no, no attempt to whisper I might whisper a quip midway through no more than 10 words whisper Whisper as low as humanly possible. Yeah. Perhaps, until in, uh, registers. perhaps in Hong Kong and China, in that they don't uh, they don't bother about that so much. In in a small cinema like that, where only two groups were doing it, it was damn off putting. Mm. If it was the norm, you'd never hear the film. Yeah, you'd be the chatting. Whole thing it'd be, it'd yeah. be like showing a film in a crowded market. Anyway, that was off putting. But I could have been in a bad mood because of what terribleness I was being shown on screen. As I said, I wanted to rinse my ears and my eyes out with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It was it was pretty terrible. Where did they go wrong, and where have others gone right? Uh, I don't know. I really haven't seen that many to be an expert on the scene, but I've seen ones I liked. Pat was asking me the other day what Bruce Lee I've seen, and it was really only the one uh, in the yellow jumpsuit where he's the spy at, at night. Ghost of the Island. I've seen 36 Chambers. I've seen Crouching Tiger and Hero. Hero has a scene where they fight in the rain in a little stone enclosure. And there's a like a Chinese string instrument playing guy. There's raindrops falling everywhere. It's it's beautifully filmed. They put a lot of effort into it. This one went wrong on the everything was at oh, I hate people to say everything was at night in films. Well, I couldn't see anything. It was all at night. I say that they were dark. Uh, the cuts were too fast. The editing was too fast to pay any attention. And then they'd cut back, and it would be a lot of 
Yeah, all the terribleness. So they make so much of an effort to make it beautiful in Crouch of Tiger, Hidden Dragon, in um, House of Thousand Daggers, whatever it is, House of Land of Flying Daggers. God, I don't know my titles. Yeah, House of Flying Daggers was another, that Andy Lau was the hero in that one as well. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that was gorgeous. That film was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Probably the two I've like been the sucked least, in. The two I've been sucked in with for beautiful um, colours, oversaturation and whatnot would be Crouching Tiger and House of Flying Daggers. I think those are the two Hero, prettiest. Hero has some pretty good colours. What I like about them is the effort they put in. So those those are those are maximum effort art films, Asian art films. Spring, summer, autumn, winter, spring. Oh, incredible. But then you have, let's say there's a triangle and that's at the top, art films. Um, bottom left is fighting films where they have the fighter and they just need to showcase his talent somehow. I've only seen on back was it man I can never remember you've seen six of them there's probably 20 <sighs> I wouldn't know and the other side of the triangle is Asian comedy films like what's that Shaolin Soccer this tried to be all three I think why couldn't it have been one of them I was hoping for art film I really didn't want either of the other two ends of the triangles and it creeped far too much into them for my yeah. liking I think I'm with you I, I was I was going for I would have enjoyed a, a good fight showcase I would have enjoyed a great Shaolin story or I would have enjoyed something pretty to look at with with amazing shots and whatnot. I don't think we got any of those. It failed on all accounts. I mean, not to say that it was going for any of those. I don't know what it was going for. It was just boring and long. And, yeah. Wow. I liked Andy Lau. I liked the Abbott. Didn't like any of the kids. I mean, the, 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 the Shaolin monks were all fine. It was strangely like you'd have fists versus sticks, then sticks versus guns, Sword versus guns, swords versus frog pants, whatever. The challenges were always one one step behind. Like, they would get attacked with swords and not go get their own swords. They would wait to get their swords till they were attacked with guns. If the warlords had turned up with machine guns, maybe the challenge would have whipped out a bunch of pistols they had in the back room. <laughs> Tell me. It was all very convenient, their pacifism as well. Slap me around. Oh, no, we're, we're warrior monks. Oh, no, we're soon not going to fight you. Oh, hang on a minute. I've got that bleeding lip Hollywood... It's like smack them once, nothing, twice, nothing, three times. Oh, you got a kung fu fight on your hand. Can you imagine any of the Wu-Tang Clan members enjoying this film? Do you think any of them saw this film? I reckon I reckon a few of them would have seen it. Maybe when they were watching their films back in the early 90s, were they watching 70s films from the Shaw yeah, Brothers? Yeah, Shaw Brothers, yeah. Yeah, so 20 years from now, someone might watch this and think, that's pretty good. I can forgive its, um, <sighs> its stupidity because it was 20 years ago. You know, when we watched Legion to the Drunken Master, Jackie Chan... Classic, bloody hilarious, and some good fighting. Weird styles. Because you play a video game, so of course you want to see the Drunken Master in real life. Um, you watch that and you think, oh my god, why is, this, why is that lady beating him about the head? That's so cheesy. But back then it would have been hilarious. Potentially. Our audience loved this film. Yeah. We were the only ones up the front being film geeks tutting in. I think because we've seen this done better before. Like the Crouchy Tigers, or Ip Man's, or... What, what genre would you go see it if it was your favourite genre you could forgive it? Let's say Tarantino made a, a terrible film. I'd go see it anyway. If you're a feudal China epic do you think there's period a... piece fan, would you go see it? Could oh. you justify it? Could you justify um, recommending it to Nick, who loves those sorts of films? No, because it's, it's been done better so ter- many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flag it. Track down the five-hour Red Cliff. Yeah, I'm with you. It was really badly done. Disappointing as fuck film. Amen. Well, I think um, is that uh... the director's never going to listen though, so we've got nothing to fear, right? We're not hurting anyone's feelings. Well, I'll tread on his toes a bit more. I I, I looked up the director, uh, Benny Chan. I've only seen one of his films before, and it was the one he did last year. Actually, uh, I've seen two in a row. Uh, it was his superhero slapstick he made 
called City Under Siege was fucking horrible. The the um Toxie. Yeah, yeah, you called it Toxie. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was super powered, not oh, I thought, mutant nonsense. I thought he might have been responsible for the one where the guy that the kids put the sticker on him because he's going blind. The Frenchman who's looking for his family killed, and he hires those three detectives. No, no, no. That's Johnny Toe. No, Vengeance. You're talking about. Nothing to do with that film. Nothing to do with that film. Oh, you've probably something to do with that, right? And you're like, no, not even close. <laughs> Shoot me down on air, you bastard. It's a good way to wrap up, though. Don't go see Shaolin. Go and find Vengeance. It was slightly better. Yeah. So, we've uh, we've finally named the podcast, and we called it Big Screen Open, because that's what the plan is to talk about films on the big screen. We got thrown a real real good treat this weekend, because they played 127 hours for cheap ads at Rialto and Event Cinemas. 127 hours. We're both um, huge Danny Boyle fans. I think everyone in the world is, is a fan of a one Danny Boyle film. He's won giant audiences with his... Um, Bollywood Millionaire, what the hell is that called? Slumdog Millionaire. As well as as well as the zombie fans, he's won the sci-fi fans, and he's won the British druggy rave culture nineties fans. What were you what were you thinking you were gonna see? A Danny Boyle fan, but you know he changes every single film. I, I'm not a I'm not a raving Danny Boyle fan as in like uh, I love everything he does. The only film I've loved love was uh, it was twenty eight days later. Um though I must be a zombie guy that you're referring to. But, you know, he's given me Shallow Grave and, and Sunshine and stuff. But even when he's not making movies for me, for example, Millions, you can just see he's an interesting director. He's a fascinating director. So that's why I knew, like, even though this film... I saw the trailer, I saw the poster. To me, it looks boring as fuck. I don't like nature films or extreme sports or anything like that. This looks stupid. And I wouldn't have seen it unless there was... Uh, I'm a sucker for talent. So if Danny Boyle's going to make this, I'll go check it out because I trust him. I know he'll at least give me something interesting. Yeah, to interrupt, actually, when I say, you know it, when I say we're fans of Danny Boyle, I like he might do a film every two and a half years and when he's finished his career, he'll have 25 films made and I'll love uh, 10, 8 to 10 of them and I've seen 16 of them and I'll enjoy it all. I've enjoyed all of them. I saw Millions and I enjoyed it, but I don't, it's never one of my Danny Boyle fans to mention. I'm impressed you brought it up. I liked Sunshine. I liked Twenty Eight Weeks Later. I liked Some Dog Millionaire. That was really well done. I liked Train Spotting. Yeah, Shallow Grave. Life Less Ordinary. Life Less Ordinary. I liked. I did actually. The Beach. Yeah, The Beach. Love The Beach. He's pretty, took me ages to see The Beach. He's got, got a list there. He's got a list. What else? No, I wrote down what I. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but those are see. That's a lot of his films to like. And You're never was, gonna come away just going, "What a dick! Who made that?" Sunshine <laughs> was really good, man. Sunshine was overrated. Ah. Oh. Underrated. <laughs> Edit the shit up, master editor. Yes, yeah, so what I meant is, that's right, we're, we're fans of Danny Boyle. You don't have to love every single one of his films. They're all good films because he's so good. Yeah, so I'd see I'd see anything. He did a, a film, the theatre production of Frankenstein he did that's coming out in a month's time at Rialto. I may even go see that. I want to know what Danny Boyle would do with the stage. That's kind of interesting. He's such a, a fascinating character. Frankenstein's a really good story as well. I haven't seen too many films on it, but I've read the book. And mm. Mary Shelley's. Um, yeah. So yeah, regardless of how, how, how dopey this film looks to someone like myself, you've got him, plus you've got James Franco. Now, he was just that dickhead from Spider-Man for a long time, as far as I knew. That's all I knew. When he blew me away in Pineapple Express, the, the difference between the two characters is what really knocked me on my ass. Like, holy shit, he can be like that smarmy, clean-cut... Pre preppy rich boy. Preppy rich boy from uh, Spidey, and then he can be the the funniest thing that came out of that year and probably years around that. It that was, was 
his performance in, in Pineapple Express was fantastic. He showed me that. I watched it first and thought, oh, this is um, this is quite actiony for one of those new wave comedies. But going back into it, examining the comedy more. That 15 minute intro scene to James Franco is the funniest thing to come out of this decade almost. Yeah. And the difference was just incredible. So, you know, I went away, we saw some Freaks and Geeks, we, um, you know, I read up about his um, his writing, he, he directs, he produces, he works on student films, short films, he studies, he teaches, he, he's hosting the awards. Back, back to teachers, I read the other day, he's tutoring a course at university, at one of the California universities, on James Franco. James Franco teaching a course on James Franco. How awesome is that? I know. The dude is, he's, he's living the dream, seriously, the dude's amazing, so... Even though I've only seen him in two or three things, I'm just convinced this is this is my guy. So, look, this film, to me, looked like it was going to be a dude by himself trapped in a ravine. That's what the trailer reveals. Boring. However, it's down to Danny Boyle filming James Franco. I'm fascinated with both of them. So, that's why I went to this dopey-looking film. Right, what'd you get? <sighs> James Franco did oh, really well. That size huge. That size huge. Carry on. James Franco did really. James well. James Franco did really well. And there, there was a, a part when he thought he was uh, he was imagining he was on a talk show. Ah, oh, he was just shining, man. The dude, he, he's hilarious. He's yeah. he is really good. Really good bit. Danny Boyle once again gave me a bunch of shit that was really fascinating. Like he illustrated the bone by having a shot inside the arm. How awesome is that? Yeah. Up straws, fucking inside a, a camcorder watching the rewind and shit. Like, it was impressive stuff. Unfortunately, I got put off by the... Before we got to the getting stuck, I got really turned The Mountain Dew ad. The, the Mountain Dew ad is mad and reckoned. The MTV... Oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like any of it. I didn't like his character. I didn't like the editing, the split screens, the... The cutting. Remember, there was like pictures of crowds worshiping and baseball games and. Yeah, there was only the very intro though. And I, correct me if I'm wrong. Danny Boyle does big intros. He's a man yeah, who likes to open do. a film. Good, do I hadn't noticed. All I know is I, like I was the very, like I was waking up very in the hospital quite quickly. Um, like the monkeys. Oh, negative quite quickly. Okay. You know what? It's a film about a guy changing character though, so maybe that was part of it. Mm. And he does somewhat changes heaps actually. Yeah, and I've heard it said, someone else, a, 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 a critic who does reviews, uh, said that um, the filming of the intro was supposed to show more about his character. Like, he's like, a, he lives his life like a Mountain Dew ad. So that's why it was filmed. So then when you get to the, the character change, yeah. filming techniques changed or whatever. Could be. I was convinced. The intro pissed me off too much. And the rest of it wasn't my thing. I was uh, I was glad it was only an hour and a half. Oh, it's a tragedy, man. That was a tragedy. I love that film. The intro of the mountain you had the, the the mountain biking over rocks. I I had the ability to ignore the extreme sportiness of it all and soak up the shots and the vistas and the and the dry rocky desert canyons and things like that. The music at one stage he has it listening to his ears and that was coming in, into our ears as well. Like he was listening to music on an iPod and they were using that. And I thought, oh, that's jarring with my with my scenery. How annoying. Why? <laughs> I put myself in his mind. I was like, even if you are this extreme sport wanker, surely you don't want to drown your, your serenity out with at least that song. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he was, you know, he meets those girls. They jump in that underground pool like the trailer said. That was all beautiful. That was all really nicely done. 
and the relationship that was feels a great good. Scene. And then he runs off and he hops off. It's only been 20 minutes. And then, pow, he's trapped until he cuts his own arm off with a <laughs> flubbed, short pocket knife. He cuts his own arm off and smashes through the bone, leaves it there and walks out with a stump. That's why this guy's famous. He's Oprah famous. He's been interviewed. This shit went around the internet and newspapers. I guarantee most people know that. It's, it's common knowledge. It's more than a Tui bottle. I mean, you'd never ask his name, but you, if it was a true or false, has there ever been that... Has there ever been a climber that had to cut his own arm off with a rusty pocket knife? Yeah, that guy became famous. Bill Ralston. Aaron, no. whatever his name is. <laughs> so famous they made a movie about him. Anyway, so I was looking forward to it. You weren't. So from the time, the 127 hours they portray when he's trapped against the rock, it's only Franco and what I was sort of looking forward to, flashbacks and conjurings of his imagination and so forth. That was awesome. That was some incredible acting and filming. That was when there were upshots through straws and stuff. The whole time he was trapped in the canyon against the rock, thinking about it, stabs a knife in. Drinking puss. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, that didn't entertain you? You weren't enthralled? You weren't racing oh, with say, him? Hey, yeah. Danny Boyle, that's a neat shot. Well done. Heaving on the you rock? You could have bored the shit out of me being the two of you stuck in this ravine. But no, you, you've kept me. It's, it's, it's more than watchable. Okay. No, but I'm talking about the... Like, I was squirming so much. Did you notice? It didn't even hurt him. Why was that? He didn't even portray any pain. Like, he fell down that thing and just goes, Oh, what the crap? Now my hand's stuck. Look at all this meat and, and, and blood all over the wall. What am I going to do? I don't know. I'll call out for help. He showed no pain. And usually that annoys me in a film. If the character doesn't show any pain, why the fuck should I feel any pain? It was different, man. I squirmed the whole way through. It. Look, it was really well shot. You're a notorious squirmer, though. That's fine, but I, I'm a, I, I, I saw just, that. I, I saw that same it. scene, and I thought that's that's realistic. That's fine. With an injury that massive, with a boulder crushing your hand, it's not going to be like someone putting a needle through your foot. It's going to. He would land there, and he did. He didn't say ow. He didn't. There was nothing. He, I, he I landed think, and was just like, oh, now what? He had more on his mind than ow. He had. I'm going to die here. It went through his mind instantly. He went. Look at the size of that rock. I'm dead. That's why he knew he was cutting his arm off. I couldn't relate to it. He knew he was cutting his arm off from the second he looked up. That's what overrided the... the yeah, okay, okay. Everything he did, every movie made was calculated. The heaving on the rocks, the throwing... The, not calculated by the um, character. I'm talking James Franco's acting. Mm. Everything he did, he's like, should I look, look away? Look back, look away. Screw my water lid off. Super tight, real tight. He... Put that. He laid all his things out. Ah, oh, enjoyed the shit out of it. I enjoyed it immensely. Look, if the Oscar for acting was down to James Franco in 127 hours, yeah, or Ryan Reynolds and Buried, nothing against Ryan Reynolds, but you have to give it to Franco. It was a really great performance. Yeah. However, entertainment value, watching a movie, something I'm going to return to, Buried, ten times over. But a dude stuck in a stuck in a box underground. The camera never leaves the box. Should be boring. It's totally not. It's a thriller. This one was like a, I don't know, it was like a... It certainly wasn't a thriller. It worked as a character piece. Yeah, it was a character piece. It was a, a man on his own, in the wild, somewhat, against adversity, um, his own hand being crushed to a rock, using ingenuity and wit. Oh, so much like Into the Wild. I have Same that. Same film. Not the same film, but pretty close to it. Before we, uh, before we went into to the, the film... Into the Wild's much better than this. Uh, yeah, before we went to the film, uh, I said to Corey that this looks dopey, like Into the Wild, which I've never seen. I've seen the trailer. I've seen the trailer for the two of them. They both look dopey to me. Corey loves Into the Wild. Would, would that be a fair statement? Everyone loves Into the Wild once they've seen it. You couldn't not. Oh, my God. 
everyone you should loves watch. You should watch Into the Wild, and we'll talk about this on the third podcast. So, Corey Big screen Auckland number three. me before we went there. If I did enjoy 127 Hours, that I'd have to watch Into the Wild. That's not going to happen. Because while I can respect Franco for his good job, while I loved some of the stuff Danny Boyle did and hated some of the stuff he did, I won't stop following either of them. I'm still a fan of both. But I ain't watching any other movie just for genre. Oh, man, that's terrible. I've got, you'll have to watch um, Into the Wild one day. It's so good. It's if so we good. get enough fan letters pleading me to. <laughs> we'll make Jake tweet you. Into yeah. The Wild. I got better stuff to watch than Into the Wild. I enjoyed it. I think Danny Boyle did it right. Telling a story about a guy. Predominantly a story about a guy stuck against a rock. You can't try straight too far from that. That's got to be a tricky fucking performance. Keeping our interest for... He was stuck on that rock... For over an hour. Yeah. Like standing in the same same place. Yeah. What the fuck, man? What, what did we have to look at? We had a raven, we had vapor trails. Yeah. Um, we had... So that's major props to Franco and Danny. Yeah. More rope work, again. He's, talk, he's talking about ropes and braiding and stretchiness because they're climbing ropes. <laughs> Carabiners and shit. Okay, so in closing, I, th- I think... I'm, I'm not saying it's a terrible movie by any means... I think the, the MTV style in, in the intro, the first 20 minutes, got to me a little bit, uh, and the rest of it was just not for me. I'm not saying it's bad by any means. I'm saying go to it. Go to it if you're a Danny Boyle fan. Go to it if you like good movies. Go to it if you want your spirit lifting. This guy's a motivational speaker now because of what he went through. It's one of those rare occasions where, let's assume his story is one of those rare stories on earth that needs to be told to as many people as possible because it's that um, inspirational, because it's that endemic of the human spirit. Oh, flash words, fucking shots. Let's assume it's that good a story, but at the crux of it, it's a guy stuck to a rock. What do you do? Half the world goes, we need to see this story. The other half goes, but it's a guy stuck to a rock. Danny Boyle puts his head up and goes, oh, I'll sort it. And I think he did. Danny Boyle made a story about a guy stuck to a rock. Damn watchable. And it's one of those stories that should be seen. Go watch 127 Hours. Plus, Joseph Franco, holy shit. He should win something for this performance. So, uh, 127 Hours has started now uh, in Auckland. It's on all over the fucking place, pretty much. Yeah, if you're, if you're one of the four people we're going to tell about this and you listen to this straight away, like if you're Naveen or if you're um, Jake or Pat or whoever. Shout out. Gemma, shout outs. The you. submarines. Yep. <laughs> to mamas. So, 127 Hours is playing now. Choose which one of us you want to believe. Well, I'm right, so. Should we do what else is playing? No, no, no. Let's, let's tell them about the docker first. This is important, they've got to pay attention, because this is the sort of shit that gets missed. This is why we're doing this podcast. Because mm. Doco Fest, because film festivals, I mean, the big one's got the money and the budget to advertise the shit out of itself. But this sort of thing is, um, this is one of the reasons you live in a large metropolitan city, because they get documentary film festivals on. Nigel, this is, go for it. The Documentary Edge Festival, which is playing uh, a new market event, uh, Academy in the City, and over Devonport, I think, at yeah, Victoria Picture Palace. So, we've uh, we've taken a quick whip through the uh, brochure for y'all, and chosen a couple of highlights each. Well, I like the look of Erasing David, a British film about a guy, I mean, Britain's land of the CCTV cameras. I think everyone sort of knows it, what they can view is incredible. And this guy decides, I wonder if he can drop off the grid. So he sets himself up to make this documentary on the run and hires a private investigation firm to track him via everything he does. It films the progress. And That's so cool. Yeah, it, it sounds a good premise. That's why I picked it. That's really clever. Seeing if, seeing if you can run in today's day and age. Because we've all thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that looks really good. The People vs. George Lucas, another film. From what I hear, it's about you know who, who owns the right. Is it all the fans to... Because um, it's such a popular thing. It's become its own entity now, Star Wars. George Lucas, does he really still allow all control of all those 
the fans have got a huge say on what happens with... Uh, they love it probably more than he does. Yeah. So who's the boss? Yeah, he might have made the films, but it's become a religion now, you know? It has. Yeah, it has. And Into Eternity, which is about a, a nuclear storage... Like, these things have barrel of um, irradiated whatever it is. has a half-life of thousands and thousands of years, and that means that's when it splits in half, and it keeps splitting in half until there's nothing left of it. And they've worked out that's millions of years for this uh, radioactive waste, and they're dumping in a giant hole up north of the Arctic Circle somewhere and have dug into the rock. <laughs> and there's another one of these facilities that's been made like a, a seed safe. It's like Noah's Ark they're calling it. It's, it's dug into the earth and I wanted to know more about this one but this will probably do. Uh, into Eternity about about a place they're going to dump nuclear waste for a couple of million years. I think the tagline of the film is like what if all the humans die out in a new uh, species land and they go digging in this hole and they find this waste? What will they think of us? That's a huge tagline. I know, that's a bit, that's a bit <laughs> presumptuous as well though. Really? They're going to dig it in a nuclear waste um, storage <laughs> facility. Look, if they start chipping away at the earth and they find a massive miles-long container, they're going to try and get in there. Now, if they get in there and all of a sudden it just spouts out thousand-year-old nuclear waste all over them. Yeah. Well, the aliens are probably impervious to nuclear waste, right? I'm sure the crew of the Enterprise had to deal with something like this. <laughs> cool. Um, I picked out a few, too. Um... Machete Maidens Unleashed is a is an Australian documentary about the Filipino movie industry of the seventies or or something crazy like that. I saw I watched the trailer for it anyway. It's full of ridiculous looking uh, films and remakes of uh, Hollywood stuff. Just just aping and mimicking and taking the piss. Looks like great stupid fun. Uh, my kidnappers. Not hundred percent sure about the story, but it, it's something to do with backpackers being taken hostage in the Colombian jungle, and they're there for 101 days, and then this doco is about them later on, they become Facebook friends with the kidnappers, and go back to find them, or something, anyway, to play Scrabble, to possibly, to finish that game, yeah, Darwin is another one, this is a personal um, favour of mine, it's about a, a remote town outside of California or something, population 35, and they're all kooky and wacky and quirky, and I don't know. I'll probably have a lot of fun with it. So yeah, it's it starts next week. Going from the sixteenth uh, Feb uh, to the sixth of March. And there's brochures like in the foyers of these cinemas. People watch documentaries when they come on TV and think that's fascinating. I love that, but don't make it to go see them when you should because it'd be awesome. <laughs> that's my plug. But before documentary edge starts, there's also heaps still on in, uh, in Auckland. I'll tell you what's not on: Winter's Bone. Three and a half months that thing was on. We, so if you didn't see it, you're a dick. We warned people last week and then held it off the release of it for a week so it couldn't help. We warned people to go see it. So we feel uh, our, our bases are covered. It was three and a half months. That's not our fault. Yeah, exactly. It was on for <laughs> a, a quarter year. Other things on in the theatres at the moment in Auckland. Uh, True Grit's on, the uh, the Cohen's cowboy thing with uh, Jeff Bridges that we talked about last week, which yep. was, we both agree, amazing. Uh, Black Swan, which is equally amazing. Yeah. You say equally amazing? Yeah, the two best films. Why Don't think of it as the ballet thing. This is <laughs> psychological, awesome, Natalie Portman, Darren Aronofsky awesomeness. The Fighter, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about that, but that's still playing, and that was... That was about the true life story of the two boxing brothers, one who goes on to become world champion, and the other guy's um, having a doco made about his comeback. Midway through, it changes into a... I'm a spoiler. Midway through, it changes into a doco about... Um, well, not midway through, like, he's so deluded, he's a crack addict. The, the older brother, the one trying to have a comeback, and it's about how his crack affects his brother. The whole family's crazy. Its performances are insane. Um, Christian Bale is the... Christian old, Bale. Go and see it for Christian Bale. Christian Bale. No, no, who's the other guy? Marky Mark. 
He didn't annoy me in it at all. No, no. He... That's gonna win. That's gonna win awards, or, or definitely kudos. Christian um, should. It will. Christian will also. Christian definitely will, and the film should get a nod. Uh, the kids are all right. Is still playing. It's just hanging on. Possibly its last week. It's one I saw uh, without Corey. It's a comedy drama about uh, a lesbian couple's children trying to find their sperm donor, and it's it's hilarious, full of awesome performances. Go see it. The Disappearance of Alice Creed is possibly on its last week in the Academy in the city. Kidnapping thing, only three people in the cast. All of them did really well. That's enough. you got to get a chance to go see it. Um, Social Network looks like it's possibly on its last legs. If you haven't seen that, Definitely wow. see Social Network. IMAX bought Inception back this week for some reason. Just playing once a day. Demand for it maybe, or there was a print floating around that had been used overseas and had now come back. They could pick it up cheap. Mm. Anyone that didn't see Inception? Yeah, yeah, I liked Inception. Why wouldn't you go see that? Go see that. The King's Speech we haven't seen yet. No, I'm going to miss that. I can feel that. I can feel that coming. You can feel it coming on. Yeah, I can. <clears throat> Fair enough. Uh, Jeffrey Rush is all good, but I, I've got no love for that sort of film. I don't like that sort of film, but I don't have a problem with monarchy and, and that. Uh, I just have a problem with the period pieces. What's that? Helen, Dame Helen, the Queen, and the guy from Nick Frost. No, not Nick Frost. Cage Frost. Is that a, was that what it's called? What was it called? Frost Nixon. Frost Nixon. The guy from Frost Nixon who was in the Queen as well. Queen's fantastic film. If you have to, if you have to choose between the King's Speech, which is going to win a lot of awards, and the Queen, go see the Queen, which has been out for years now. We can't really say that because you haven't seen King's Speech. No, I can't. I'm pretty confident saying that the Queen's awesome. Uh, Wild Target is playing it. It doesn't look like it's going to going to last very long but I think I might see that solo this week possibly with Sis who's it's the main actor in that? Bill, Bill Nye is in that as a and it's a remake of an old uh, a 90s French film a hitman comedy about a dude who's has to, his final job he has to take out a girl a young girl but he ends up having a soft spot for her he picks up a, a, a possible apprentice uh, it's it's Bill Bill Nye sounds like Leon yeah I know it's a comedy though oh it's Bill Nye, it's uh, Emily Blunt is the girl, uh, the ginger kid of Harry Potter is the apprentice. Rupert Grint or something like that. And uh, the dude off the the UK office, Martin Freeman, is... Um, he was in Hitchhikers. I bumped into him. <laughs> Did you just? Yeah, yeah, I bumped into him at the London Film Fest. Bumped into him, no, like we were both using the lab at the same time sort of thing. He was like, Corey, what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah, no. no in, in my mind, I spoke to him. In my mind, I asked him, like, we commented on the same thing. It was 44-inch chest. In my mind, I was like, oh, that was good, eh? And he was like, yeah, that's how I think that conversation went, but I can't prove it to myself. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, so, he, he's in this as a, uh, as, as a hitman to, who follows uh, Bill Nye, meets these two, um, Harry Potter and Emily Blunt, and decides to, to not do his last job. He pretends to be a, a private eye instead. So his bosses send a hitman after him, which is Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to see him playing a... It's pretty typical in the hitman movie, where the first hitman. hitman doesn't take the job, and so the hitman company send out a hitman hitman. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, yeah. Look, there's, there's a remake of a film that's been done to death already anyway. Mm. But I'm going to see it. I'll, I'll let you all know what, what I think next week. Green Hornet is still playing, though it looks like it's dropping off uh, fairly rapidly. I don't know if it did it as well as it could have, but we'll possibly see that this week as well. Also, the Fella performance, the three-hour Fella cootie performance is still on at Rialto. There's only one or two screenings this week, but um, you should be able to catch that if 
if you people out there must know who he is. Fair enough. I'm sure you're not the only one. Wagner me is still playing. The Stephen Fry doco about Wagner, but uh, it's moved from Rialto down to the academy. Don't know if we'll get a chance to see that, but that's the one. And Scott Mosier is pressing inside job. The doco narrated by Matt Damon about I don't know financials and economy and something. Yes. You're reading Freakonomics mm. at the moment. It's Freakonomics, the movie. It does have what I guess. That's true, but I mean, just like Enron and all that sort of all those sort of things, they don't need to be seen on the big screen. You gain nothing from a financial documentary by seeing it on the big screen. It's a waste of the screen. It's a waste of the speakers. It's a waste of the seat. But you get to listen to Matt Damon rumbling through it. No, I'll see it. He's off to regret. I'll see it when it comes out on DVD. That, that's not a cinema film. I try and save cinema goings for where it uses the medium to its maximum effectiveness, which is 20 speakers. <laughs> New out this week is uh, 127 Hours, which you've heard us rant about already. Uh, Fair Games also out this week, uh, which is uh, Naomi Watts, who I adore, and Sean Penn, who's always at least worth a, worth a look. He's, he's intensely good. What is that movie about again? Uh, it'll start with a helicopter shot over famous Washington monuments, because it's a story about espionage. Like, it'll be a long shot, zoom in, fly over Washington, zoom in on the Pentagon or the White House, and then it'll cut to an office inside the room. That's how they set those shots. To tell you someone's important, they start the camera back over like the, the Nantucket Harbour or wherever, somewhere else in America, and it flies all the way to an office and then cut. And then you know they're talking, like it's not just a spy talking to a spy, this is a spy boss talking to a spy boss. It'll start like that. It's about a, a woman who's a spy. They sell her out. She's in trouble. Her husband's got a fight. But instead of her being overseas, she's she's home in America. They sell her out to the media and stuff like that. It's Naomi Watts. I'm watching it. Yeah, I like spy films. I like Naomi Watts. Sorted. But most important of the week, of course, is uh, is Valentine's Day. The Academy is playing Charade, one of my all-time favourites. I'm going to push it. I don't care if Corey doesn't. Corey can't make it along, so if, uh, if anyone's free on oh, Valentine's the night. Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that. Uh, it's playing at Academy on, on Monday the 14th, Feb. Uh, at 7pm, it's 15 bucks with a free glass of wine. Also, it's playing over in Devonport at the Victoria Picture Palace for 15 bucks with a free ice cream. Oh, actually. Text actually, me. <laughs> Sale Street Shorts is on. Marianne Timpson's screening a dozen or so short films every Tuesday night. And the entry fee's like 10 bucks. Um, but you get an $8 glass of beer, so it's really $2 to watch a dozen good films. And he's... Taika. Yeah, he's showing some Taika Waititi films. Or no, he's showing one. I mean, he's showing another 48 Hours winner. And he's showing oh, a range of them. And he's still I think he, he out, looks actually. like he's put a, a lot of love and affection into this collection, actually. Yeah, everyone should know Ann Timpson is a real big pusher of films in Auckland. And so if he's doing something like this, if he's got a bar involved, if he's hauled through his extensive collection and he's getting people to send him films from far and wide, maybe they're all New Zealand, I can't remember. But it'll be a good night. He knows how to screen to an audience. Indeed. So that's, um, you've heard us rattling on for, for long enough. There's shit tons on. Probably the next pod we're going to do, we're thinking Green Hornet and Fair Game. Yeah, I think it'll be Green Hornet, definitely. That's going to be a good film. We'll try for those two. All right, so this is Big Screen Holland. I'm Corey. And I'm Nige. Yeah, super. See ya. Mm-hmm.